Sorry about that. My two-year-old just turned two yesterday, and I'm releasing over him the terrific twos in the name of Jesus, right? The terrific twos. Terrific twos from my little buddy, Brennan, just turned two yesterday. So I heard a funny phrase yesterday. We were hanging out and uh, uh, with another couple at our neighborhood, and they have a three-year-old, and she, she said she has a three-nager. It's like a three-year-old who acts like a teenager. I thought that was pretty hilarious. So I was like, okay, sorry. Well, I'll just go with this. It's fun being back in this place. I've uh, been loving arranging the worship and leading that, and I feel more comfortable there as of lately. So I've been asking the Lord to, um, to really help me arrange what's on my heart to speak to you all and encourage you all from his word today. Uh, I've had some incredible messages here the past couple of weeks, and uh, I, I almost thought about just kind of doing a follow-up on all those because I just was like yes and amening the whole time, but the Lord gave me a different uh, direction. So we're going we're gonna to start in the book of Matthew, and then we're going to go to the book of Mark uh, and spend most of the time there. So go to Matthew chapter 6, everyone. Before we get there, there's something that um, I want to pray into that's not related to my message, but I feel like it's something worth kind of, it impacted me and I feel like it was for our body this morning as we were worshiping. And I felt like the Lord said, if you have a hard time with the commandment to worship, you'll have a real hard time with the commission to raise the dead and to heal the sick. If you have a hard time with the commandment to lay your life down, you're going to have a real hard time with his commission to raise the dead up. And, uh, man, that just really struck me. You know, if we have a hard time rejoicing in him, celebrating our God, our Savior, and the work of the cross, we're going to have, a re- we're going to have an extremely hard time healing the sick. We're going to have an extremely hard time with the Great Commission. So I just want to pray into that for a minute. The Lord has called us and commanded all of us to worship, to rejoice, to praise, to reflect on all that he has done, to reflect, to set our minds on things above, to rejoice in him. And I believe it is out of that place, that that commandment to worship, that we see the commission Sometimes people want to skip that. They don't want to develop that time with the Lord. They don't want to develop a well. They don't want to develop a place of of worship or maybe they just don't think it's valuable enough because not enough people see it. I don't know. But I heard it's clear in my spirit this morning. If you have a hard time with the the commandment to worship, you'll have a hard time with the commission to heal the sick. So let's just pray into that. If that speaks to you, if you've been struggling to keep your eyes on Jesus and the things of this world are, are grabbing your attention and you're just, you're just struggling to just get to the heart of our faith and worship Jesus, let's just pray together. Let's just pray for hunger. You know, after you've ever, have you ever anybody ever fasted a couple days? You know, day when you're not fasting, like you like cheeseburgers and steak or whatever, but day three or four into a fast, all of a sudden a carrot sounds really good to you for some reason. It's like 
you don't care about the circumstances so much anymore. And I think that's what hunger does. When we get hungry for the Lord, when we get hungry for his presence, we get hungry to worship, we get hungry to connect and just be with him, it doesn't really matter if it's coming in the form of a carrot or whatever. But I think that's what God's called us to in that commandment, to worship to worship no matter what our circumstances are. So Father, I just thank you for that word this morning. I thank you for the command to worship you. Stir up a hunger in us, Lord, to worship you. Let the fruit of the spirit of self-control bring us to that place where we are able to set our minds on things above, when we're able to set our eyes on the accomplished work of the cross and rejoice and rejoice. Lord, we want to be fulfillers of the Great Commission. We want to see the sick healed. We want to see the dead raised. We want to see the captive set free, Lord. But our primary place is that command to worship you. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna trek through. We're gonna we're gonna follow a theme that the Lord has really highlighted in my life this past week. And uh, it all starts with this te- it, it's kind of like a piggyback a little bit on what Paul was teaching on the uh, been there done that teaching. How good was that? Anybody get super convicted by the been there done that teaching? And uh, I know I did. And uh, I just want to kind of touch on that. Travis a couple weeks ago was really hitting on. Um, you know, if the Lord tells you to stop watching a show, you know, it's a, it was kind of like a, a message of, of correction, if you will, and it was really powerful and convicting. I remember there's a lot of people praying and really pressing into that. So I, I think this is kind of going to complement those two words. I feel like the Lord's speaking to our church. So, so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life, as what you shall eat or what you shall drink. For your body, as to what you shall put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Can we all say amen? Amen. Do not be anxious about your life. All the hearers were probably, yes, amen. The disciples were like, yes, not going to be anxious for my food, not going to be anxious for my drink, not going to be anxious for my clothes, right? Amen. Got it. Been there. Done that. Score. Check it. Got it. Now, let's go over to Mark. Let me get my notes out here. I just wanted to hit that because I believe that was kind of the beginning of this theme that the Lord was showing me this morning. So now, go over to Mark chapter 6. Now, this is where it gets real kooky. Hmm. Starting in verse 33. And the people saw them going, and many recognized them. 
They ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had begun to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and began saying, this place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside, the villages, and buy themselves something to eat, right? But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And they found out, they said, five, five loaves and two fish. And he commanded them to recline by groups on the green grass, and they, rec- and they reclined in companies of hundreds and of fifties, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, looking towards heaven, and he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving it to them, to the disciples to set before them, and he divided them up, divided up the fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and also of the fish, and there were about five men who ate the loaves. So now they've heard the message. Don't be anxious about your life, right? Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat. So now they've heard. Now they just witnessed the miracle of food multiplying. Like it was one thing to hear, don't be anxious. Yes, amen, got it. Now they've got the yes, amen, got it miracle. Food just replicated, right? If they didn't have it then, they've definitely got it now, right? Amen. They've got it now. Woohoo! We thought we had it before, but now we really got it. We just saw something crazy go down. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him on the other side of Bethesda. And while, himself, and while he himself was sending the multitude away, and after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and they cried out for they had all saw him and were frightened. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage. It is I do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them. The wind stopped. They were greatly astonished. And here's verse 52. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. What does Jesus walking on water, them thinking it's a ghost, them freaking out, them calming them down, them calming the storm, have to do with this verse 52? And this is a verse that in the middle of this message really just was like, oof. They had not gained any insight from the miracle of the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Another word for insight, other translations might say they had not gained any understanding, 
from the miracle of the loaves. They heard an amazing message. Do not be anxious about your lives. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your drink. Don't worry about your clothes. They saw five loaves and two fish feed thousands. And yet there was something missing. Jesus' words, do not be afraid. And then the author says, they gained no insight. So what does that mean? What does it mean that they gained no insight? They gained no understanding. This morning I woke up with that word, understanding, in my heart. And I believe there's two kinds of understandings. You know, in Proverbs, it says, lean not on your own understanding, lean not on your own insight, but in all your ways acknowledge him. I believe that what was happening, what the Lord was expecting to happen was that as they saw the miracle, their understanding, now think of the word understanding as two words, standing, right? What are you standing on? What is under you that you're standing on? What are you living from? What is the place that you are living from? What is the reality that is shaping the way you perceive the world around you? Have you allowed, have we, have I allowed what we've seen God to do? Have we allowed the yes and amen messages that been there, done that, to actually shape the way we see life and the world around us? Because having a hard heart doesn't mean that you don't believe in Jesus. Having a hard heart doesn't mean that you're not following. Having a hard heart means that you've seen miracles, you've heard incredible teaching, and it did not gain you any insight or change the way you live your life. You guys still like me this morning? (laughs) I used to think hardness of heart was for all the sinners outside that needed to get their lives right. Those hard-hearted heathens need to get off of the booze and off of the thing and get their hearts soft. No. These disciples, the followers of Jesus, had not gained any insight or understanding in what he was laying out for them through this miracle. And it says, and another thing that jumped out at me was it says they were afraid. It even says that they were terrified. They were terrified. Does anybody know that terror and fear is not one of the fruit of the Spirit? Right? It's not in there. Peace is, joy is. Terror and fear are not part of this fruit of the Spirit. So surely, surely, they heard the message, right? They've seen the miracle of loaves being multiplied. They even got a nice little rebuke as Jesus walked on the shore, or walked on the water, So they've got it, right? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, amen, they got it now. Go with me to Mark chapter eight. This is about, y'all, I'm not, I don't know if you've ever seen this theme before, but this is pretty hilarious. It's pretty shocking. Not only does it reveal what's happening with the disciples, I feel like it reveals what's happening with us. In those days again, this is verse one in chapter eight, in those days again, a great multitude had nothing to eat. And he called his disciples and said to them, doesn't it sound like I just read this? I feel compassion for the multitude 
because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. I just wanna highlight the fact that both of these miracles started with Jesus having compassion. I believe the heartbeat of the, of the ministry of miracles is compassion. The heartbeat of the ministry of miracles is compassion. All throughout the New Testament, you see Jesus gripped by compassion, led by compassion. Father, give us compassion for those that we want to see miraculously touched. Holy Spirit, set my heart on fire with compassion for the lost, for the broken, for the sick, for the bound, Lord. Help us to feel and remember what it was like to be like in their shoes and know that you set us free, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord, to... to not be so focused on what needs to be done, but the why, the love. Love has come. Love has come. Both times it says, I feel compassion. And I'll say it again. The ministry of miracles, the heartbeat of the ministry of miracles is compassion. Verse three, and if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come a long distance. And his disciple answered them, okay, let's multiply food again. Is that what it says? Nope. <laughs> okay, let's just get a, couple, let's get a couple crumbs. We saw what he did last time. All we need is a few crumbs, man. We're gonna make it happen, woo! Make it rain some bread. Come on, this is what's happening. Nope. And the disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these men <laughs> with bread here? is we are in a desolate place. And he was asking them again, how many loaves do you have? Is this, is this like laughable to anybody else? Like this is absolutely insane. And it seems so crazy, but we do this. We do this. You and I do this. I'm talking to you as a brother, as a sister, as a friend, as people who worship Jesus with me. I do this. You do this. It seems ridiculous when you read somebody else doing it. But when we've got our own bread and we've got our own fish issues, we do this. We have not gained any insight or understanding. We've said, yes, amen, got it. But we don't live from a place of understanding and insight of what Jesus is trying to unpack for us. It's so much bigger than fish and loaves, you guys. It's about living from a completely different perspective from this earth towards the world, right? It is living from the kingdom of God where it is absolutely normal for food to multiply towards earth. It is living from the kingdom of God where it's absolutely normal to find your tax debt in a fish's mouth. Where will the money come from? 
Did you not read about the fish's mouth in the tax thing? Did you not? We do this. How many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. That's more than last time, right? I think they only had five the first time. They've got seven this time. And he directed the multitude to sit down on the ground, taking the seven loaves. He gave thanks. Notice both times. What did he do with the little bit that he had? What did he do both times? Gave thanks. This whole sermon just coming together right now. Thank you for praying for me, Lonnie. He prayed it would be good. He prayed it would come together. None of these thoughts came to my mind, but he gave thanks. Compassion, thanks. Do those things. It's the way of Jesus. He's the one we follow, right? He gave thanks, broke them, and started giving them to the disciples to serve them. And they served them to the multitude. And they also had a few small fish. And after he blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and they were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over and the broken pe- uh, of, of the broken pieces. And about 4,000 were there. And they sent him away. And immediately he entered the boat. Seems like the exact same story. Here he is. Food. Multiplied. Boat. Here we go again. Entered the boat with his disciples, and they came to the district of Dalamathia. Give me grace. And the Pharisees came out and began to argue, uh, began to argue with him, seeing uh, uh, and the Pharisees came out, began to argue with him, seeking him for a sign, a sign from heaven to test him. And sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say unto you, no, shine, no sign shall be given to this generation. This, woo, those S's, sorry. This generation. And leaving them again, he embarked and went out to the other side. And they, <laughs> here we go. Y'all are not going to believe this, y'all. They are not, you are not going to believe this. You are not going to believe what happened. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than, an, than one loaf in the boat with them. Right? And Jesus was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Seriously. Y'all are serious. Do not be anxious about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. 5,000 come and are fed with five fish and two loaves. 4,000 come and are fed with seven fish and, or seven loaves and some fish. Now they're in a boat with one loaf for like 12. And they are freaking out because they don't have enough food again. Y'all, I do this. Can you be honest and say, I do this? This is really interesting to me because now Jesus is actually trying to drop some supernatural revelation and wisdom and they are unable to hear his revelation and his direction because their minds are set on things below. 
This is where I think Jesus had just like a parent, you know, they're cool for a little bit, they're cool for a little bit, and then all of a sudden they're like, shut up. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that, but you know what I mean. Do that moment where, the, where you just had enough. <laughs> they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Can you imagine? I told you to bring bread. Why don't you bring bread? No, Thomas, you were supposed to be the bring bread. No, I'm not the you were supposed to. No. Why don't we have, they're just arguing. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? There the word is, understand. Remember the first time they did not gain understanding or insight from the miracle of the loaves? Here it is again. Do you not yet see? Do you not understand? And here he says it again, do you have a hardened heart? Sometimes the people with the hardest hearts are the ones in church because they've become familiar. Familiarity and the, and the inability to allow the work of Jesus to shape your life can harden your heart. The inability to hear his word and not be anxious, okay. The inability to not only hear his word, but to actually see food multiplied at his hands and still somehow find a way to be anxious. To see the food multiplied another time and still find a way to be so anxious because they only have one piece of bread that they're actually missing the wisdom that Jesus is trying to relate to them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They missed it because they were so focused on that bread. See, a hard heart will keep you from hearing what Jesus is trying to say. We, want to, we love the voice of God. We love to hear his voice. We preach it, we teach it, and that's where our heart, but sometimes we can't hear it. We can't hear, hey, be care, be, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees because we are still worrying about the one piece of bread in the boat. Are you seeing this? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, don't you see? Having ears, don't you hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And he answered them. Did they answer right? Did they answer right? Yep, 12. Guess what? They had their facts straight. And if you guys have your facts straight but still living wrong... Can anybody give all the right answers and still live the wrong way? And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they answered him again. What was the right answer? Seven. They got the facts right again, right? Been there, done that. I can even answer the questions the right way, and yet I'm missing what Jesus is trying to unpack in my life. I'm missing the fact that I am not living from the reality from which he is inviting me to live from, 
from heaven to earth. I'm not living from the place where I have the understanding that even though I see a thousand people or I see a thousand dollar debt or I see a completely impossible situation that nothing is impossible for God. I can say seven, I can say 12, I can say nothing's impossible for God, but yet I live towards that thing in fear. And I live towards that thing in anxiety. And I live towards that thing out of my own understanding. And the Lord is saying, did you not gain any understanding from the miracles that you saw? Did you not gain any insight from the things I taught you? He got the, they got the answers right, and yet they were missing the mark. And then he said to them again, do you not yet understand? Have you not yet gained insight? Are you going around the mountain again? Are you still wandering in the desert? The story goes on where Jesus heals a blind man and they were a part of amazing, amazing miracles but I can guarantee you the point of a miracle isn't just for you to be wowed for one minute and live the same way the next. The point of a miracle isn't just to add another notch to our belt and put it on our phone or share a testimony on Facebook. It is to change the way we live our lives. There is insight and understanding released in every teaching, in every miracle, every moment in his presence. But if we leave those places, those miracles and those teachings and that presence unchanged, he says to us, is your heart so hardened that you did not gain any insight from the miracle that you saw? Do you still like me? I have this really bad thing. I like, I, I like to be liked. I'm working on that. I re, you know, my wife will tell you that I have like an addiction to being liked. But this, I think it's pastoral, but sometimes it gets the best of you and you start, you know, instead of serving people, you start pleasing people. So I'm making sure that I, I'm serving you well today. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to me too. Last time I, I spoke, I actually put a mirror on the front row so I could see myself, because I needed that message, I needed that word. And this is one I need. It feels a little bit like correction. I'm gonna tell you a story about correction and then uh, I'll land this thing. A couple, probably months ago, I was, uh, I got an email. I own my own pressure washing company and all my vehicles have my logo, my phone number on the side and stuff. And I got this email. And, you know, for my company, you can go online and, like, put a submission form in, like, hey, I want a quote to wash my house, blah, blah, blah. This one said, hey, I feel really uncomfortable watching you text a mile down the road. That's not safe. I wish I could tell you my first response was, woohoo, yes, thank you for that word. No, no, my first was, if you had any idea how busy I am, you need to mind your own business. You got to keep your, keep your nose, mm -mm, don't you try to tell me. No, that was my first response. If that lady knew that I had to let that customer know that I was there, or that customer know I was running late, and then this, I got to send this bill and send this estimate, I don't got time to, all this was going on. 
How many of you all love correction? As you get older, it gets easier, right? <laughs> I found out the older I get, the more prideful and set in my ways I get, and the harder it is for me to hear a word of correction. So after wrestling with that ego and pride trip, the thought in my mind, you know, what if this woman lost a loved one because of a texting and driving incident? That was my next thought. I was like, okay, well, I had a couple of the bad ones, and eventually I got there. I'm not trying to stand up here and act like I'm holier than thou. But that was the process. Wow, what if, Lord, this is your, you know, what does it say in, in Hebrews 12? The Lord, what, corrects those disciplines, those he loves? What if this is the sweet correction and loving whisper of my father that I need to hear about my ego and my busyness and all the things that I have going on in my life that are so important couldn't hear this email? What if this was the Lord giving me a warning, you better stop texting and driving because you're gonna get into an accident. And if you don't heed this warning, it's gonna end a lot worse than your ego being damaged. And it just got me on this track of what correction. And all I, can, all I can describe is, I can't describe the feeling, but I feel like you all know that feeling when you're getting correction. And it doesn't feel good. I started singing this song, I know it's not the right way, but I started singing, hurt so good. Come on, Jesus, make it hurt so good. Sometimes correction don't feel like it should. Now, Jesus, hurt so good. That's what correction's like. It hurts so good. It hurts so good. And once I got past that, I just call it angst, maybe like, ugh, I don't like this. How dare you moment. I realized the Lord was in it. And I wrote her an email back. I am so sorry. I, I am, that was so irresponsible of me. And I'm gonna call everybody else that drives one of my scrub trucks and let them know about this. And I posted it on Facebook, the copy screen. I was like, this happened, y'all. And I was so embarrassed. But I'm gonna make a change. And then I got to thinking, this is how the Lord speaks to me. If I can't be corrected on something as simple as texting and driving, how will I ever be able to be corrected about being a good husband? If I cannot receive a word of correction about texting, how am I ever going to receive a word of correction about being a good father? Don't you tell me I can't parent my kids, right? Oh, I'll do it. Don't you? Oh, you're going to try to tell me how to be a husband? Can you imagine that same thing? If I can't hear a word of correction about texting and driving, how am I ever going to hear the voice of the Lord saying, Do you have a hard heart? I don't got no hard heart. I serve this church. I do this. I'll do that. I come here. If you only knew what my schedule was like. And then I realized more and more that the sign that I am not an orphan is correction. The sign that you are not an orphan is the correction of God. What you do with it is on you. And then the next thought I had was, 
One of the truest signs of my maturity in Christ is how I receive correction. You see, I can minister real good, and I can lead worship real good, and I can prophesy, okay. I'm not gonna, I'm growing. And I can pray for the sick, and I can do this and that, but none of that tells me how mature I am in Christ. If I wanna see maturity, you wanna see if a tree is healthy, you got to look at the fruit of the tree, not the works of a tree, right? And I learned in that moment that my ability to receive correction, self-control, is a sign of maturity in the Lord. I love the phrase, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Just because I can heal the sick doesn't mean I'm mature, right? Just because I have a gifting doesn't mean I'm mature, How correctable are you? How soft is your heart to the gentle voice of correction? I love that about my relationship with the Lord, but sometimes correction doesn't come from the Lord. Sometimes it comes from a person sending an email. And if I don't pay attention to the echoes and the presence of God as I read it, I'll miss it the correction of the Lord through someone else. We have this really bad habit in the charismatic movement that says, I can't be corrected except for by God. Well, God told me this. Well, I don't care, Pastor. God told me this. I'm not saying that's not true. I'm not saying that's false or true. I'm saying sometimes correction. And if you just take a moment, get past that uh, feeling of like, how dare you? And you lean in and you say, Lord, is this, is this, is this you? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that ugh, feeling aside. Is this you? And all of a sudden you recognize his presence in the correction. Oh, you're such a beloved son and daughter. He's correcting you. You're not an orphan. He's gonna show you how to be a better husband. He's gonna show you how to be a better wife. He's gonna show you how to be a better mom and dad. He's gonna show you how to run your business the right way. He's gonna show you who to serve and where to serve. He's gonna show you belief systems in your mind that you are holding on to, clench fist. And he's saying, no, there's some belief systems in you that you gotta let go of. Some correction in the area of how you believe, how you see yourself, how you see the world. Nothing's off the table. When we say, I lift my hands up and lay my whole life down, nothing's off the table, right? He can correct you in any area of your life. And you can ignore correction in any area of your life. I love the idea of correction being... If my child is going the wrong way, it's like, it's a little nudge. Like, if you keep going that way, you're going to die. <laughs> you know, like, if you keep running on that, that's where the cars are if you keep running in that direction. If you, keep, if you keep doing this texting and driving thing, you're going to die. You're going to hurt somebody. You keep on parenting like that, your kids are going to have to deal with some stuff. God is so good that he corrects our course. That's what it is. He's correcting our course. If he whispers to you, 
Have you not gained any understanding from the miracles that you've seen? Allow him to invite you in to beautiful correction in that area of your life, right? Oh, last thing. Another way of looking at correction is the idea of pruning. You guys remember the parable that Jesus taught about pruning? Paul had a cool, was it a cucumber or something that you had some pruning going on or something? A cucumber tree or something? I had a similar experience around the same time where uh, one of my employees absolutely scorched this Japanese maple and uh, didn't, didn't rinse it enough or whatever. Anyway, the customer calls me, this thing is dead. I'm like, man, why couldn't he like kill a begonia or something? This thing is like a $200 plant I got to replace. Anyway, I go, I get a new Japanese maple. And I was like, hey, I, can, do you mind if I take this one? And you know, she was like, yeah. So I planted the new one. Everything was well. I brought the, the, the old one, the old dead scorched one home that she was convinced was dead. Planted it, put some fertilizer around it, watered it. And um, I, before I did, as I was doing that, I, I kind of plucked off some of the real dead leaves that were on it. And I was like, I'm just going to leave it, you know, kind of like a Hail Mary here. Let's see what happens. Watered it twice a day, came back like three days later, and all of a sudden I see little red Japanese maple leaves starting to pop off. Guess what that encouraged me to do? Go through and find everything that was dead on that thing and break it off. Every leaf that I missed the first go around, oh, got it. Every little twig that was gotten, because you could tell if it's dead or not, because if you ask the, the person at the, uh, the nursery I bought it from, if you scratch it and it's green, it's still alive. Or if you bend it and it doesn't break, it's alive. So I went through and I started scratching and bending and scratching and bending and scratching and bending, breaking off everything that would break, scratching everything that, breaking off everything that wasn't green. And I spent probably an hour scratching and bending and breaking and pruning this thing. Let it go for a week. All of a sudden, this thing is like robust with beautiful maroon Japanese maple leaves. Like, yeah, what did it cause me to do? I wanted to start bending and scratching and breaking and pruning this thing in front of it. And I realized what was happening if, <laughs> if I allow the dead things to go uncorrected, the plant will actually send energy to those things. And, and prevent it from growing more leaves. I'm actually helping this thing grow and thrive and, th and flourish by breaking off all the dead stuff on this thing. That's the way I understand. I am by no means a horticulturologist or something, but uh, I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not an educated man, y'all. I'm definitely not. Horticulturist, no Allah. Horticulturist. <laughs> Oh, wow. I'm no horticulturist, but in my mind, I'm thinking, I got to break these things up. And then, again, the Lord just started unpacking, this is correction. Will you allow the Lord to speak to things in your life that need to be broken off? Will you allow the Lord to speak to ways that you do things that are not rooted and established in his kingdom? Will you allow the Lord to remove thoughts from your mind that he didn't put there? Will you allow the Lord to run your business the way he says to run your business? Will you allow the Lord to do parenting the way he tells you to parent? And allow him to break off the things that are causing life-giving energy to go to dead things. And I just want to close with this, this thought. 
believe it's at the end of Mark, the disciples are commissioned. And I'm going to kind of attack this area of beliefs one more time. It's a very, very, very familiar verse. And Jesus said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents and they will, they could even drink deadly poison on accident. You know, they're not trying to like go do some like West Virginia cult thing here. He has one. 